The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com/boa as in business of agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com/boa. Greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that. You heard that in the introduction. The introduction brought to you by Land Trust. Reminder, please go and check out Land Trust. Remember, there's a lot of people that are capitalizing on the ecology economy. If you have land, woods, a resource, there might be a bird watcher, a fisherman, a hunter, a person that wants to take their family out there on your private property and pay you for the ability to do so. Go to landtrust.com and you'll learn more about how to do that. In this episode of the Business of Agriculture, we're talking about money, 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 money. You know what? Farmers have three favorite subjects, as I commonly say, what time they wake up, how hard they work, and the weather. Those are three farmer favorite subjects. The farmer subject they don't like to talk about is money. <clears throat> Tell the neighbor farmers, hey, you're making a lot of money this year. And they bristle, they cross around, well, no, you see, they'd rather they'd rather pretend that they're going broke than to actually make money. But you know what? Different time, different place. Smart, successful, progressive-minded agricultural people need to have their finger on the pulse of their financial situation on a daily, daily, all-day basis. Let's face it, man, this is important stuff. So I've got Paul Niefer. He is the Farm CPA. He writes a column, a uh, blog. You can find it at farmcpatoday.com. He has a podcast, The Farm CPA. And he's carried in Top Producer Magazine, where he writes a column about being the Farm CPA. This is not geared just to farmers. This is going to be geared to farm owners. It'll be geared to agricultural people. Anybody that wants to be more financially better off tomorrow than they are today should be listening to what we're going to talk about here in this episode of the Business of Agriculture. Paul Niefer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Damien. Actually, when you're uh, leading off with the land trust, uh, we were looking at our trail cam. You know, we get the photos and we had just in the last week, we had a bear. We've had a cougar. We've had an elk and we've had a pretty good sized buck within probably 150 feet of our house. So uh, or maybe 200 feet. So, uh, you know, and that background is 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 looking out the back of our we have a little bunkhouse. So that's looking out the back of our little bunkhouse. So. I like it. So most of you are listening, but some of you do view these episodes. You can view them on the Damian Mason channel. Just go on YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel and you can subscribe. I wish you would. It'll help my uh, it'll help my viewership. But also you can see Paul Niefer's backdrop here where we're recording. <clears throat> He's in Washington State. He's in southeastern Washington State, not too far from Walla Walla. Yes, that's a real town, Walla Walla. Um, and uh, he's going to talk about money. And, you know, I said a long time ago, Paul, that <clears throat> when I grew up blue collar kid, uh, worked really hard. My dad worked nights on the railroad. Mom and a few of us kids did the farm work. My dad worked daytime at the farm and nights on the railroad. Worked really hard. I worked in the factory. When I worked in the factory, I discovered something. You put in that 40 hours and you make your straight time. And then you get a chance to work on Saturday or stay on after midnight and work until four in the morning for time and a half. And then you get a chance to work 
more than 60 hours or on Sunday, it's double time. Yeah. And I remember my brother, the farmer said, you hate that factory job. Why the hell do you work so much? I said, because once you get the 40 in, it's like time and a half. It's gravy. It's double time. That's how I have taken that factory mentality and applied it to finances. If you've done the hard work, if you've run your business, started a business like I did 28 years ago, if you've done the hard work of showing up every day and making the money, then the more disciplined part becomes saving the money, but also the time and a half double time work, the stuff where you're getting paid at gravy is to do the smart management of the money. Right. That's where guys like you come in. I don't know if you uh, like that sort of analysis that I've always come up with, but in my head, it's like, it's the easy, is the easy eight hours that people don't do. They'll do the hard work of making the money and then they'll screw around and not manage it correctly. And then all of a sudden you're scrambling and you're always stressed. Do you like my analysis? I, I do like your analysis. You know, it's, it's similar. You know, a lot of people will say, well, that person was lucky. Well, the reason that person was lucky, they spent the 40 hours and then they're into the 60 hours and into the 80 hours. That lucky part is the 60 and 80 hour. It isn't the 40 hour. Everybody else is doing the 40 hour, but they're actually doing the 60 and 80 to get lucky. So, uh, yeah, no, I do like that analysis. So it's it's not easy. It's just easier if you're going to, you know, working the, working the, the hard work is, is one thing. Making the money is enough. But then. Once you've done that, why not then manage your affairs? So real quickly, you're not the first money person we've ever had on this podcast because we sometimes have to talk about estate planning. Agricultural folks, as you well know, tend to be very capital heavy, uh, sometimes cash poor. But um, what's going on right now when I look at Washington, D.C., when I see a federal government that is blowing money, you know, it's an insult to drunken sailors to say they're spending money like drunken sailors because, hell, a drunken sailor couldn't possibly be this irresponsible. Um, We're going to be raising taxes. Less money is getting thrown at the farm sector in the year 2021, which is when we're recording this, fall of 2021, than has been certainly last year, $51 billion, a record amount of money was thrown at the farm sector. So what are we looking at? Like, just give me big picture, then we're going to start asking you questions about specific operations. What, what's the general big picture? Here, fall yeah, big, yeah, big picture for, for ag, whether you're a farmer or whether you're an input dealership or whatever, we know that taxes are going to go up if according to Congress or the president, you're rich. If you're over $400,000 of taxable income, your taxes are gonna go up. Now, likely that means the top rate and capital gains are gonna get you know, boosted. Now, how high? Maybe you know, not as high as they originally were projecting. Now over on the corporate side, because a lot of farmers still farm as a corporation, a C corporation, their rate actually might be going down. It's actually supposed to drop from 21% to 18% up to $400,000 of taxable income. So it just depends what part of the economy you're in. Now we're on the estate side, you know, we had this, uh, it drove me crazy. They kept referencing the fact that we're gonna eliminate step up in basis. No, no, Biden and Congress never wanted to eliminate step up in basis. They wanted you to pay a tax for step up in basis. Well, that, that basically appears to have died off now. We don't want to be complacent because they may actually eliminate step up in basis, which is, uh, you know, the farmers, so many farmers kick the tax can down the road. You know, they're, they're just kicking it down the road and they're just waiting to pa- their heirs are waiting for them to pass away because all that tax hit disappears when they pass away. Well, if they eliminate step up in basis, then that tax hit's going to hit them at that point in time. 
Paul, I've got smart people that listen to this podcast, but some of them and any, many people that I know, I, I, I'm actually always uh, appreciative that they come to me and they say, hey, man, I, I'm good at what I do. Uh, but you you are better about running small business because you've done it and you think like these things. Can you explain to me this or that? So let's just kind of, for the person that doesn't want to admit that this is all a little bit new to them, um, you talked about taxes going up. Well, everybody knows, okay, taxes on, you go to the grocery store, you pay sales tax or whatever. You go to, the, maybe not a grocery store. You go to the, whatever, Target, you pay sales tax. You go, uh, uh, income tax is what we're talking about, is not really going to affect many farmers because it's, taxable over 400 grand. And what you and I both know, most farmers figure out a way to peel down their adjusted gross uh, income. And so to the person that's listening to this, if your farm grosses a million dollars, but then all of a sudden you've got all your expenses that go against it, this this tax is going to happen to those, Paul, that are at 400 after all the expenses have been washed. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's not going to impact as many farmers. And then also to the people listening to this, I've got folks that work for, you know, the chemical companies, seed, feed, uh, machinery. If you're in a 400 plus taxable, uh, you're probably, um, you're probably also the minority of your company right now. Cause that's yeah. a pretty big number. I mean, I think, yeah. uh, average household income, you know, assuming even you got double incomes is still like what a hundred thousand dollars or something. So yeah. this yeah, it's essentially Congress is trying to do a little bit of wealth distribution. I mean, they're trying to take extra cash from their definition of the wealthy and then distribute it down to the less wealthy, you know, enhanced uh, child tax credit, enhanced child care credit, all these other items. So it's, it's a way to manipulate wealth from the wealthier down to the poorer. So I mean, it, well, essentially, you know, it's a Bernie Sanders type approach, you know, it's a socialistic approach. Yeah. Yeah. And what those other programs you talked about, um, we call them tax credits. The reality is there's going to be people that don't pay any taxes at all who are also going to get money from the government and they, they call it a credit. And it's just for the fact that uh, they have kids or whatnot. So taxes on, on income going up capital gains. You know, there's people I know that are smart people. And like, I don't really understand what that means. Explain capital gains and, um, and, and, and how that means. And then we're going to go to step that basis. Talk about capital. Yeah, so, so when you work for a living, if you get a wage, that's what we call ordinary income tax. That's at a higher rate. A capital gain is you own farmland, you own stock in Google, you own stock in Microsoft, whatever it might be. And you hold that for at least a year. That's the key for at least a year and a day. Then you sell that asset instead of paying tax, let's say at a 37% rate, you're going to pay tax at a 15% rate or a 20% rate. So it's, it's a reduction in that tax rate there's a maximum rate that you're going to pay versus ordinary income. So the idea that we're trying to do is we're trying to convert ordinary income into capital gains whenever we can. Now, like a dairy farmer, you grew up on a dairy farm. Dairy farmers are farmers that actually get to take advantage of capital gains rates because when they sell off their cold raised, the raised breeding stock, you know, that has no basis, and they hold it for at least two years, that's capital gains. So yes, farmers do take advantage of capital gains. And, and uh, okay, but if a farmer keeps a bushel of corn and his corn and his grain bin for over a year, is it income or is it capital gain? That is still income because that's inventory. An inventory item, you normally can't get capital gains treatment. Now there's esoteric ways where yes, you can, but for the typical farmer, it's gonna be um, ordinary income, not capital gains. 
And the capital gains rate right now, now we used to have a thing called short-term and long-term capital gain. Um, are those still in play? And what's the, what's the direction we're going with the new regime? Yeah, so short-term is just ordinary income. It's just the same rate as everything else. Long-term, if you're in what we call the 15% bracket, your income's under 100,000, let's say, that's actually taxed at zero. And then from about 100,000 up to about 500,000, you're taxed at 15%. And then above that rate, you're taxed at 20%. But where Congress, well, the president wanted to boost that all the way up to 39.6% on income over a million dollars. The House proposal that just came out says, no, we're only going to bump it up to 25%, but it's going to kick in at about 400000 <laughs> that's, that's of your income, but we're talking about capital gains. Capital gains rate is going to vary with income. It didn't used to, I don't think. It's for the last many, many years, it's definitely very, it, it, it's sort of an, you take your ordinary tax and then the capital gains are put on top of it. So then you look at what the rate is based on when it's on top of your ordinary income. I see. Yeah, it seems like the first time I started having assets that we were in a different situation and there was short term, which was 12 months or under, uh, maybe- was, Yes, under 12 maybe months, maybe yeah. Maybe been under 24, and it was a, a certain rate. So what are we saying now? Capital gains are for uh, what they what they are look like they're going to be are what? 25%. If your taxable income is over either 400, 450,000, that range, depending whether you're married or single, that's, that's sort of the key. 20 to 25%. And then what if you're under 400? Because most of my listeners, most people in the United States, let's face it, are, are under that. Then it's 15% flat rate or zero if you're even lower income, plus your state rate. I mean, you always got to be, you're in Indiana. I'm in Washington. We don't have a state income tax, but Indiana definitely does. So then you always have to add on the state income tax rate now. But if you're in Iowa, and you sell farmland and you're materially or any farm asset that you're materially participating in, that tax rate is zero, you know, if you meet certain requirements. So uh, ag is definitely, yeah, Iowa's got a provision that as long as you're meet, my memory is you got to do it for at least, I think it's 10 years, you got to be materially participating, but that that sale will be tax free. I should have been buying ground in, in Iowa instead of Indiana is what you're telling me. Well, I, I bought some last year, but I probably won't meet that requirement because I'm not the one farming it. So, you know, that's that's the key. Stepped up basis. Um, this one confuses uh, a lot of people because like, what the hell are we talking about now? This is uh, big in agriculture, but the proposal is uh, – that is going to change. And the point is um, right now, my wife just pulled out of the driveway. Uh, she and I uh, own this farm where I'm sitting here uh, in Indiana together. If my airplane goes down, she gets this farm, my half of this farm um, at today's market price, which let's call it according to Purdue, $8,300 an acre or something like that, as opposed to what we paid for it 15 years ago, which was considerably less than that. That's what stepped up basis means. It means that then she's got no taxes. She gets her half, my half, I'm sorry, at that rate. That's what we're talking about. We talk about stepping up a basis. Instead of her getting at what we paid for it in 2006, it's at what the rate is in 2021, what the value is in 2021, right? Yep, yep. And, and in farm, it's probably even more important over on the operating side because the farmers got no tax bases in their crop. They got no tax bases in their equipment. They got no tax bases in the growing crop and the prepaid farm expenses. But if that farmer passes away owning all that, his heir or her heir, that will say the spouse or the kids, 
They get to step up the grain to fair market value, sell it for no tax. They get to step up the equipment, redepreciate it over seven years. You know, so on the operating side, it's actually even more important to those farmers than it is on the land side, especially if the heirs are never planning on selling the land. Stepping up land really doesn't gain you anything unless you sell it. Yeah. So, but you're saying on the operating side, we step up all the, and also we get to the, remember farms, farms are a good way to have depreciation. We've got a lot of moving parts out here, right? Barns, grain bins, machinery, et cetera. So if mom and dad die, the benefit is that all that stuff that they had fully depreciated buildings, grain bins, grain carts, uh, tractors, combines. Now we get to start again. Is that what the, Everything gets stepped up. Now let's take the farmer that bought $500,000 worth of prepaid farm supplies from the local cooperative or local uh, input dealership in December, and then happens to be nice to a spouse and passes away the next month, you know, in January of the following year. We get to step up those prepaid farm supplies, $500,000, the spouse gets to deduct it all over again. So, uh, you know, that's a famous case from a few years back called the Bachmeyer case. So, yeah, the, now again, I'm being facetious about the farmer passing away conveniently for the spouse, but if you're looking at it purely from a if you're going to die, it's better to die January 1st because then you've already gotten your stuff ran on December December 31st, right? Right, exactly. You've already got the deduction. You got a deduction in December, and you get another deduction in January. So, uh, um, and, and one of my favorite jokes, and it's probably a bad joke, is I always ask farmers, you know, when are they poorest? Well, it's December 31st because they did all the prepaids. And then when are they the richest? It's January 2nd because they've got all that deferred payments that, you know, that they did back in September and October. That's coming in. And then when are they the poorest again? Well, it's about January 5th because they used all that money that they deposit on January 2nd to cover the checks they wrote on December 31st. So, uh, you know, that's that's my one bad joke. And the farmers that laugh at it, I figure they're not in bad shape. The ones that don't laugh then there's probably some reality to that joke. There is some reality to it. It's not a great joke, but you know, I've got a background in comedy, Paul, and I'll tell you what, first off, it's a bad time to be in comedy because everybody decided that nothing's funny anymore because comedy has a genesis and truth. You can't have funny. The reason that's funny, what you just said is because it's, True. And the thing is, uh, we live in an era right now where you're not allowed to say truth because truth is hurtful and we need safe spaces. So anyway, that's my commentary about comedy. (laughs) But yeah, you didn't even know that about my background, that I was a political comedian uh, and then I morphed into being the ag comedian. And now I'm still kind of funny, but I have to steer away from stuff that's. uh, Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that we thought that was funny 10 years ago, we can't get by with saying anymore. Clearly. Or even two years ago. So. And then, you, and you, yeah, right. And so uh, it's a tough time. About stepped up basis, um, it's it's going to go away or it's not going to go away or they're going to change it. What the hell is happening? Because I've heard a lot of proposals. Well, I think we, we have to understand nobody knows for sure right now. Yeah, Biden wanted to apply a transfer tax, still keep step up basis, but you're going to pay a capital gains tax to keep it, which was going to be a rate probably 45% plus. Uh, the House proposal that came out about a month ago says, no, we're going to keep step, step up basis as is. We're not going to make any changes. So that's where we're at. Somewhere between the president proposal and the House proposal is going to be the reality. And we have to remember the Senate, the the key person in the Senate, Senator Wyden from Oregon, just right below me, and he wants to have a mark to market on your wealth every year. You're going to pay a tax if your wealth increases. Now, 
supposedly it's only going to apply if your wealth is over 50 million, 100 million or something like that. So, you know, so the, the key thing, Damien, nobody knows for sure right now. And we're not going to know until sometime in December. You know, there's, no, but we do know this. We do know that this thing about assessing value on your wealth, meaning assessing a tax on your wealth, um, that's something that uh, the Kennedys certainly never would have wanted because, uh, hell, they never really made any money working. They made money off of uh, their bootlegger grandfathers uh, uh, and fathers um, uh, bootlegging operation. They, they made money off of held wealth. But there seems to be a pretty hard left uh, turn, obviously, going on in our government right now. And the hard left turn is really about uh, somewhat of a grabbing money everywhere they can, let's say. Let's say. Um, and what that means is assessing you a taxation just on your wealth. Now you said, okay, it's only going to start with 50 million. All of a sudden you get it towards assessing it if you've got more than one or two million. And you're saying, oh, that in effect, there's a lot of people listening to this show right now that have a million or $2 million of net worth laying around. You know, they- well, it, 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 It's dangerous. It's not net worth. It's not net worth. Let's, let's look at the farmer that's got, let's say, $6 million worth of equipment and grain and so on, but owes $4 million to the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, they borrowed money to buy all that That's stuff, right. but sure. they're able to deduct it. They're going to owe tax on the $6 million, not on the $2 million in net worth. They owe it on the $6 million of, of gross assets. So Even though there's that, notes against it. Right, right. Because we're not talking an estate tax. We're talking a transfer tax. That's where it gets dangerous. You know, estate tax, we understand. My net worth's $2 million. I don't owe any tax. But on a transfer tax, you know, my gross estate, the gross value is $10 million. I'm going to owe the tax on the 10 million, not the 2 million of net worth. And, and that for a lot of farm families, that means their heirs are going to go from inheriting something that's got net worth to something with no net worth or negative net worth. So is that going to happen? I don't think so. Not, not immediately, not this year. I, I think down the road, it could happen. Um, you know, what, what's happening is all these billionaires or multimillionaires, what they're doing is they're never selling their stock during their lifetime. What they do is they have $100 million of stock. They go to the local bank, borrow against that stock. Let's say they borrow $5 million, $10 million during their lifetime to live on, pay no taxes. And then when they pass away, their heirs get to step up that stock to $100 million and sell it tax-free. Yeah. So that's, that's the, what they're trying to go after. Now, what farmers need to realize are people that deal with farmers. Farmers are, a lot of the farmers are in the same boat. They borrow money to buy all these inputs. They deduct all the inputs. And then when they pass away, all that tax liability disappears. That part of, of the step up may disappear. That's, that's really what they want to go after. I can see Congress coming in and saying, if you've borrowed money during lifetime and your bases in those assets are less than what you borrowed money for, you're going to pay a step up on that. And that would be devastating to a lot of farm families. All right. We're going to talk to Paul Neat for a little bit more about this, but also about what everybody can be doing and should be doing to get rich. Because you know what? We, we know that the rich get punished, but also the very rich don't get punished at all because they figure out ways around this. We're going to figure out how to get rich and what you should be doing next. And I want to remind you before we uh, get to that topic that I'm working with extreme ag. And I encourage you, if you are a success minded, forward thinking farm operator or just a person that loves what's going on in the business of agriculture, I've got a new venture where I've teamed up with Extreme Ag. It's, Extreme Ag is a consortium of six forward-thinking farmers, yield setting, yield record setters, uh, 
corn, soybean, a uh, couple of them even farm, you know, rice and cotton. They're from all over the United States of America. And these six guys uh, are trialing new stuff. So new chemistry, new biologicals, new equipment, new tactics, new methods on their farms. And if you go to extremeag.farm, that's extreme, there's no E, extreme ag. Dot farm, you can see all the cool stuff that these guys are doing and apply it to your own operations. So go to extremeag.farm and check out the videos that I'm helping them create to tell the story that they're new stuff they're doing that you uh, are saying, wow, that seems kind of cutting edge. Holy crap. I don't know if I'll try that. Well, you know what? Let them try it and then decide if it works. Then you can try it on your operation. Uh, Paul Niefer, um, the one thing about this, if you actually have been around the block a couple of times like you and me, Bill Gates is not going to be punished by all of these new taxes. Uh, Bernie Sanders can can shake his fist and talk about the rich paying their fair share, pay the billionaires, the billionaires paying their fair share. The reality is those people are so sophisticated and, and have entire offices set up just to manage their affairs so that they skate through and don't get punished. The person that actually gets punished is like you're talking about the farmer that has $6 million of stuff, but, but only 2 million of it's actually all paid for because there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, you know, you got your grain, your new grain facility, you expanded. Well, there's a note on that. And you, you bought 160 acres down the road, but you know, Aunt Thressa died and yeah. all those kinds of things. It's those that are at this kind of well off, but not completely well off era that tend to get really punished. You know, the person is making $40 million a year off of all of their hedge fund investments. They've got all sorts of apparatuses in play to avoid taxation. Like you talked about, put the money, put the stocks there, borrow money against it. Don't pay anything on the appreciation of the stock. Stock goes up 10 times over your lifetime. and Your kid gets it for that new basis. It's the person that is making 400 grand. It is the company, the farm operation that is, you know, the, the agricultural small business that they've got wealth, but they don't have get around the problems. Bill Gates wealth. Am I right? Right. Right. Well, and you know, and you mentioned Bernie Sanders, you know, he came out with a proposal earlier this year and it was, and he listed all the billionaires. He said, okay, if my act goes through, here's how much money this billionaire is going to pay into the treasury. Well, when you read through the bill, he did nothing about the fact that these billionaires like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, are putting all their money with their foundation when they pass away. And that still escapes all the tax. So, you know, these billionaires, they're just going to set up their own foundation. All the money is going to go in there. Their kids are then going to, I'm going to say, milk the foundation. You know, they're going to get paid $500,000 a million a year. Yeah, the, found, the, foundation. the foundation gets the money for free from Gates. Then Gates's kid has a lifetime. It's it's in perpetuity. He will be employed by the foundation for a million dollars a year to what? Uh, to return an email once and saying, are you still employed by the foundation? Yes, exactly. And whereas the farmer, you know, the, the farmer that's worked hard, it's got maybe a couple thousand acres that over 40 years they've acquired. They got a couple of million dollars of equipment and some grain and some other assets. Uh, they're the ones that are going to get nailed because according to Bernie Sanders or AOC or whoever it might be, they're rich. So therefore they need to pay in their fair share, even though they've worked the 80 hours a week for the last 40 years, mm -hmm. uh, just because then you can transfer some money to somebody that as we see right now with the pandemic, people just don't want to work because they're paying, being paid more not to work, then to work. 
What are, in your observation, some of the big mistakes that people make financially? What do folks do wrong at the ag ownership level? Because it's not just far- your obviously specialty is farming, but there's a small farm ag businesses out here. There's, like I said, there's some of my listeners that have a normal job and then maybe also have some other holdings. What are they doing wrong? Yeah, I, I think there's two or three key things, I, I guess, speaking from a, a tax CPA standpoint, not understanding what that deferred tax liability is and how to manage it. My successful farmers, more successful farmers understand and actually track that. Uh, there's track what? You know, Attract what that deferred tax liability is in case that, you know, something happens and they have to liquidate how much tax, you know, their net worth, they think it's $3 million, but it's really $2 million because of the tax they'd have to pay. Um, and then just like the millionaire next door, which I think was a great book when it came out. Wow, man, it's Damien. 1996, like 1996, yeah, so. that book came out. I read so, it and I also gave it to several people. 25 years ago. And it's still true. Live under, you know, spend less than what you take in. Now, farmers typically do a good job of that. That's why they end up creating wealth. My parents were the same way. I mean, they were farmers. And in today's dollars, did they make more than $100,000? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But they saved about 80% of it. So, you know, I reinvested it in the business. That's how you create wealth. Uh, You know, I, I have a lot of doctor clients, not anymore, but I used to have a lot of doctor clients. In today's dollars, they were making $600,000 and spending $650,000, not creating net worth. They were having a great time, but they weren't creating net worth. So this uh, book that I'm holding up right here, my friend, is my business book that came out two and a half years ago, and it is more geared to small business people. It's called Do Business Better. And I'm I'm not even pitching this, although if you're a listener to my show, I would encourage you to pick this book up if you want to be a successful business-minded person. I have a chapter here that says no money or you'll have no money. And I use that exact example of a doctor friend that I went and uh, had drinks with after racquetball one night. And he told me that uh, essentially he spent every nickel that he made. Um, I think the waitress probably had as much net worth as, as the doctor who made three, three fifty a year, whatever it was. uh, And then some, so, yeah, there is no question about that. And I agree with you. The Millionaire Next Door was a good book. I read it when I was, well, I was, I was a young man myself. And so I was just starting to really make money. And I said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to do the overtime. I'm going to do the overtime. Yeah. Reading every, every time I was on an airplane, I read about business or money um, to make myself stronger. And by the way, The Millionaire Mind, which was the second installment in that series, was probably a touch more interesting if you like personal stories, because then they profiled Here's right. Joe Blow. Joe Blow worked for a scrapyard, and then they tell his whole story. Um, so the mistake that we're making is um, we don't know what our tax deferment is, um, or we're overspending our money. What good habits do you see that you're like, man, that's a good habit? Like I, I don't think I do a lot of things right, but one thing I always do, I always keep cash. I always keep cash on hand so that I'm not stressed, but I also always deploy enough into new things that it keeps me honest. Like, okay, I'm not just going to sit around and uh, and get lazy. I I, I kind of always look at my, my holdings as keep yourself. So you're not completely stressed because you got enough stresses when you run your own business, but also make sure you're deploying enough that it's sort of like, okay, we're going to, we're not going to get complacent. Um, Although as the older I get, the more I wonder about when I can start becoming complacent. One of these days. (laughs) Anyway, one of these days. So I, I, 
Yeah, I think one of the key things, and you sort of mentioned a little bit when you said uh, keep enough cash, you know, for a farm operation or any business, this this is true whether it's farming or not, working capital, that that's your cash, your inventories, your receivables versus your payables and your operating line. Working capital is the in, is the oil that keeps that engine running. And as long as you have sufficient working capital, that farm engine, that business engine is going to run just per, not perfectly, but it's going to run very well. Right. Once you run out of working capital, just like once an engine runs out of oil, that engine freezes up and, and you're, you know, you're out of luck. And, and that's the key. You got to make sure that you maintain that working capital. Now for ag, that working capital can be different if you're a livestock operation versus a crop operation versus an orchard operation. But uh, that working capital is, is very important. Matter of fact, one of the other sayings I have, Damien, it's not really a joke, but one of the sayings I have is that working capital that you've paid tax on, that farmers actually pay tax on that working capital, that is the farmer's working capital. If they haven't paid tax on it, then it's either the banks or it's Uncle Sam. So you have to decide uh, because they're like, oh, I don't want to pay any tax. Well, once you pay that tax, you can deploy that working capital Whereas if you haven't paid the tax, you can't deploy the working capital. So uh, that's one thing that my successful farmers understand. They understand that it's important to pay some tax, at especially lower rates, uh, maybe especially when times are good. Let's build up that working capital because then I know when times are bad, I can assess that working capital and not incur an extra tax in order to access that working capital. Two things, my friend, Paul. First off, you said, uh, you preface by saying this isn't really a joke. I'd say that based on the time we spent together today, even the things you thought were jokes weren't really <laughs> jokes. I mean, some people should just stick with being an accountant. Let's face it. And some, some people were born to be an accountant, Paul. Some people were born to be funny. Uh, <laughs> remember what I always say is being funny is like being tall. You are or you are not. It'll be obvious to the world by the time you're about 18 or 20 years old. And if you are not, don't try to be. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, yo, you're funny, and I appreciate your spirit. Uh, a couple last things. Advice that you've got that you're like, hey, I, I get paid. I get paid an hourly rate to be an accountant, but I'm going to give you this one piece of free advice. Give it to me right now. Anybody in ag or anybody in general that can uh, benefit from it. Well, I, I think the key is know your numbers. Uh, so many of our farmers out there sort of shoot by the, you know, they, well, I think my number is this. And the reality is the more you know your numbers, and I don't want to sound like a bean counter, but the more you know your numbers, the more you can be efficient and you can manage your farm operation. You know, you and I both know Chris Barron fairly well. He knows his numbers. He understands exactly if I make this decision, it's going to create this benefit. If I make this decision, then it's going to create this detriment. And, and that's one of the key things that any business person needs to know their numbers. I wholeheartedly fully agree with that. Uh, and again, in my business book, I talked about, you can say, I just don't like being the money person. I'm a creative. I'm like, okay, well then go, go over there in that park and be creative. And then don't try and run your own business. No, but I've got this really good idea. I'm like, big deal. It don't, it don't matter if you, it's learnable. Um, I take to it a little bit more naturally, but again, I did it. I forced myself when I was a political comedian starting out, I said, I got this airplane time. I can use that time to like watch movies like everybody else, or I can get smart. So I sat there and I read, and um, I, I think that that's been very helpful to me. A friend of mine was here two weeks ago, started his own small business a couple of years ago. 
uh, sitting down with me and, and, and our other friend. We've been best friends since high school. Two of us have been running our own business for 27 years. Uh, the other one's been now at it for a year and a half, two years. And I said, what's your revenue picture going to look like for 2021? I, said, I don't know. I said, you don't know what your revenue picture is for 2021? I said, no. Uh, but, you know, we're going, we're working, we're busy. I said, I looked at my other friend and I said, what's your revenue picture look like for 2021? He was within 5%. Now, granted, we're talking, we've still got the last quarter to go. He was within right. about 5 to 10%. It's going to be like this. Now, we know there's those same things that are going to pop up, et cetera. And I, I could be the same. I can predict my revenue picture by, by the time you're starting quarter four, like, here's what it looks like. And here's what I'm doing. Boom, 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 boom. And the thing is, you want to tell the, our buddy, which we did, you should always know what you're making. And you should always know whether that's on whether that's on plan, whether that's ahead of last year, et cetera. Like you said, know your numbers because in general, you can always vary the expenses. You've got the ones that obviously are fixed, and you got the ones like, hey, we can expand now because of this. If you don't know what the hell your revenue is, you're not gonna you're not gonna be there. Well, um, and another thing that I talk about at times too is contribution margin. Farmers sometimes get hung up on net profit or net loss. Really, you need to look at what is that revenue coming in. What's the cost associated with that revenue? Not your fixed costs. You know, the fixed costs are co they're costs that don't change whether you do that land deal or not. But what's that bottom line margin? As long as it's positive, now I want it to be a good size positive. As long as it's positive, you're smart to do it, even though if you allocated all your fixed costs against it, you might still end up showing a negative. But the contribution margin is what's key. Contribution margin means what again? Contribution margin is, so let's say the farmer's going out and renting the ground next door, a quarter section, okay. and it's going to generate $100,000 of revenue, and his inputs, including the cash rent, all the inputs, the variable costs, you know, is going to be 80000 so yep. you're going to net 20000 but the farmer then will say, well, then I got this loan payment, I got this labor that's fixed, I got all these other items that when I allocate that labor, allocate that loan payment, Instead of making twenty thousand, now I'm actually losing ten thousand. Well, no, you're still making twenty thousand. If you go out and, and do that land deal, you're going to make twenty thousand that then can be allocated to offset those loan costs and labor and so on. So, like I say, it's it's important to get your mindset switched from net income over to contribution margin because positive contribution margin always drops to the bottom line. It, it cannot not drop to the bottom line. Now you can screw up on the calculation. Yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, the point is, you pick up twenty grand of new revenue. Uh, it, it's in, unless you're unless it costs you fifty grand of uh, above that to make it, then obviously right. it makes sense to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His name's Paul Neifer. If they want to check him out, anything else you want, you want to tell me here? Because you know what, I want to be rich. You want to be rich, and it's not because we want to necessarily go to the coffee shop and and our uh, new F two fifty and tell everybody uh, how rich we are. It's because when you have your money in order, you can pick and choose business more of your choosing. That's what I always look at. I can live more the life of my choosing and choose the business that I want to do if I have my financial house in order. That's what's been my driving force for a long time. Is uh, creativity, uh, life by choice, and uh, and being able to do it. So that's been my thing. How about you? Well, you know, I, I, I grew up on a farm. Uh, you know, I came out of college during the early 80s, and I looked around, and I'm like, you yeah, know, this isn't probably for me. So I became a CPA. I've been a CPA close to 40 years now, but it's allowed me 
to make a sufficient net worth that now I'm sort of getting to play farmer again. I've gone back and over the last year and a half, I've bought farms in Iowa. I bought farms in Missouri and bought farms in Washington state. So now I get to, you know, get my farming back in my blood, so to speak. So that, that's well, what I'm enjoying. Your fellow Washingtonian, Bill Gates, because he's got farms in a bunch of different states. I mean, are you kind of in a competition, you and old Bill? Uh, I think I'm in very small competition with Bill. You know, I'm, uh, you know, that that's uh, basically he wouldn't even know who I am. So you I don't, don't have a foundation set up to employ your deadbeat kids for the rest of their perpetuity is what you're saying. No, 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 like not at all. Not like at all. Uh, that's funny. All right. His name is, his name is Paul Neifer. If you want to find him, go find, uh, the farm CPA podcast or go to top producer magazine or go to farmcpatoday.com. right? Farmcpatoday.com. It's a good you dude. And I, by the way, if you're listening to this and you are part of, we talked about Chris Barron, AgView solutions out of Iowa, he's putting on a top producer conference, um, uh, for some very business, uh, minded farm people that want to, keep their business mind sharp. It's going to be in Phoenix, Arizona. Both Paul and I are speaking at that conference at the end of January. So um, you might check into that also, and you can find that by sending me an email or to Paul and we'll get you the contact information. It's for, uh, it's for forward thinking business-minded farming operations. And I'll be talking about the business of agriculture and what's on the horizon. And Paul's going to be talking about money, money, money. Thanks for being here, my man. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Damien. You're probably my favorite guy from Dayton, Washington. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of the business of agriculture was brought to you by Land Trust. Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com BOA, as in Business of Agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com BOA.